Hi everyone, welcome to the Diversity in the D313. I'm your host, Anna, and this is my co-host. It's Anna. Today we're going to talk about the Troy Axe murders. The Troy Axe murders. William Glenn Warvlin was married to Betty Bentley. Well, Bet Bentley. William, William Glenn Warvlin became a fireman in Royal Oak, Michigan in June 1959. He married... Bet Bentley, who had been married previously and had five children with her first husband, Ben Bentley. A-17, Judith Ann Bentley. A-16, Dory Bentley. 15, Paul Bentley. 12, Walter Bentley. A-10, A-10 and... That's that's bad font. A-10 and... Gravelin and Bet had a daughter, Bet Sue, born in 1959. In August 1961, Gravelin slashed his cousin's wife with a his cousin's wife with a knife on Monday afternoon. Gravelin used the knife to force the woman and her forty her four year old daughter out of their homes at. 1058 Henrietta, Troy, Michigan. The woman screamed and Gravelin did slash her behind her left ear, a wound that required five stitches. Gravelin was arrested the following day, walking without shoes along Rochester Road near 17 Mile Road in Troy. Gravelin said he had been drinking and did not recall the slashing the woman. He said that he purchased the knife on the morning of the attack. He was sentenced to three years of probation and committed to the Pontiac State Hospital for treatment. Gravelin was initially released from the Pontiac State Hospital on <clears throat> on uh, on uh, 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 okay get it off I'm tongue tied on convalescent convalescent leave <clears throat> in April 1962 having having lost his firefighter job he went to work on assembly line operated by temp uh by temperate product Cor- corporation in birmingham michigan a rep- a representative of the company described graveland as a good steady worker after an incident in which graveland was drunk his wife had him brought back to the mental hospital in february of 63 he was released again in january 1963 and he was Officially released in nineteen in July nineteen sixty four, a neighbor recalled that he drunk a lot, that he would go wild when he was drunk, and that his wife was scared to death of him. William and Bet's marriage was was comp, was comp, was was complications due to his drinking. So. Bet asked William for a divorce, and William ended up moving in with his mother in Clawson, Michigan. 
on September 27, 1964, William called a taxi who dropped him off at 2121 Garson in Troy, Michigan, which were which was 250 yards from his family's home at 11 p.m. at 11 p.m. at 6:30 a.m. Raven walked to a gas station that was a half mile away from his home, located on the corner of 15 Mile Road with John R. Where he drank four to six bottles of Coca Cola and used the phone. Then he took a cab back to Clawson at 8 a.m. that morning. He ingested he ingested sleeping pills and whiskey with the intent of trying to kill himself, but that failed. So then, so he then purchased some towel and bathroom cleaner but failed to ingest it he just ended up getting the liquid cleaner on himself which ended up causing chemical burns to his chest later that day earl stone a man from highland park had seen william walking down the street and stopped and asked him if he needed help that's when william replied to the man that he killed his family and asked the man to call the police. A Madison Heights police officer responded and found William walking and asked him if he was okay and he responded that he killed his family and needed to go to the police station. Police went to his home and found three of the victims, Judith Ann, Dory, and Walter in the living room. The body the bodies of his wife and two of his stepchildren, Ben and Paul, were found in the bedroom. His daughter, Bet Sue, was found in the bathroom with a Bible. The bathtub was half full of water. Stained deep red, stained deep red with blood. Each of the bodies were covered with blankets, and he had left a note of apology written on written on torn scraps of paper towel on each of the bodies to his five-year-old daughter Reverend wrote Susie I love you with all my heart the note to his wife was partially uh ill oh god illegible but read, but read in part that I love you and Susie most of all, and I can't change it. But if I could, you know the answer. Please forgive me and let me just be, and just let me. Please forgive me and let me just be you. This is according to the Associated Press account. The note read, I love you, I'm sorry. It couldn't it couldn't be helped. Gravely used a large double-bladed axe and a hammer to murder his wife and five stepchildren. His daughter was his daughter Betsu was also killed, but unlike the other victims, she was killed by a shotgun blast. A sight a psychologist, a pathologist, uh, place the time of death at 
approximately 2 a.m. The axe was found under the house with human blood and hair on the blade. The bloodstained hammer was found in a bat in a bathroom. The chief path, uh, pathologist pathologist who examined the bodies at the scene said it's, it's it exceed anything I've ever seen except in warfare. At his immediate arrangement on September twenty eighth at the Troy Met Met. Uh, Oh my God! This is getting up under my skin. At the Troy Court, Levin pleaded guilty at a complimentary hearing held in October nineteen sixty four. The court heard testimony from Doctor Abraham Tuber, who had first examined girl in nineteen eighty one, testified that Graveland had schizophrenia and he was not fully able to assist in his defense according to the doctor reverend talked about his deceased family members in present tense and had previously attempted suicide by drinking a solvent after a second after a second doctor dr george s eva eva find the weirdest people name testified Despite having what appeared to be a to be a psych, a psych a psychotic character disorder, Graveland was able to assist was able to assist his attorney. Oak, Oakland Circus Judge James Thornburn ruled on October 29th that Graveland was was competent to stand trial. However, at the request of Graveland's attorney, he was transferred to Washington County Jail to be examined further by two University of Michigan's doctors. Well, it's on, on November 19, 1964, Graveland Home was badly damaged in a arson fire. Oil was poured on the living room floor and the fire damaged both the living room and one of the bedrooms. In early January 1965, Rayleigh really agreed again attempted suicide by by rubbing his wrist across a broken window. Rayleigh really admitted to the suicide attempt, which he attributed to harassment by other inmates. On January 14, 1965, after reviewing the report of the second doctor commissioned finding Graveland was not competent to stand trial. Judge Thornbor ordered Graveland committed to the Iona State Hospital for Criminally Insane. In November 1967, the medical superintendent at Iona State Hospital reported to the court that Graveland was then capable of standing the charges. After hearing the testimony from the doctor, Judge Thornborn ruled in December 1967 that Graveland was competent to stand trial. And same thing. In January 1968, Graveland's attorney waived his rights to the jury trial. Judge Thornborn ruled, ruled that while the slaying were a product of defense mental 
disease. He was legally sane and knew the difference between right and wrong at the time. Reddy was sentenced by Judge Thornborough in 1968 to mandatory life in prison. Fucked up. This is, why do you look like that now? That's what's throwing me off that wording the way it is. Well, I'll take I'll change it back to the other font. You just don't like that font. <clears throat> now we're gonna do an update on FBG truck FBG duck murder trial. <clears throat> Shortly after rapper FBG Duck died in a hail of bullets of the Gold Coast, his former girlfriend received an unexpected text message. It contained only three laughing emojis. The text came from a child's father, Ralph Turpin, who, among six members and associates of the Old Block faction of the Black Disciples, charged in a federal murder and racketeering case stemming from Duck's delaying on August 4, 2020. Turpin, 34, is accused of making at least one phone call that drew the other defendants to the swanky shopping district to kill Duck, real name Carlton Weekly. Although prosecutors have linked the shooting to a years-long gang war, evidence presented at trial indicates Turpin's motive for flagging Duck's location was deeply personal. The Tisha House testified Wednesday that she and Turpin have a 12-year-old daughter together and that she dated Duck for roughly three years until April 2020. Cell phone video taken inside a boutique on Oak Street just minutes before the shooting shows Turpin made a frantic phone call. Turpin referenced Duck and appeared to call House Bogus. For allowing their child to spend time with the rapper. It's over with now, though, he said in the call. After watching the shooting, Tur- Turpin sent House a message with the emojis. By then, House said she had minimal contact with Turpin because their daughter had her own phone and could keep in touch with him. During her grand jury testimony in June 2021, House clearly tied the message to Duck's killing. I think Turpin was being evil and just laughing at me because he knew how much I loved Duck. And he knew that I was hurt, she said. And we're not friends anymore. But when she was asked what she thought Turpin meant when he sent the emojis, House demurred. I didn't think anything of it, she said. Two other people who have known Turpin for much of his life are expected to testify next. One witness was told, has told the feds that Turpin didn't like Duck and was jealous of his relationship with House, according to a court filing. The mother of Offer's child, Tiffany Huff, also took the stand this week though she made it abundantly clear she didn't want to be there. You forced me to be here, she told Assistant U.S. Attorney Jason Julian on Wednesday, and you threatened me with jail time through my attorney. Through my attorney. Huff had been barred from the courtroom after it was revealed that she was regularly sitting in the gallery ahead of her testimony earlier this week. Judge Martha Picoult issued an order granting the government's motion for a material witness warrant for Huff, a move that was apparently aimed at ensuring she showed up. Huff testified that she drove to a suburban car dealership shortly after the shooting to pick up Offord, Smart, and another suspect who took his own life. Offord had returned a Ford Fusion, one of the two getaway cars used in the shooting. She reluctantly identified Offord, Smart, and the other man from surveillance footage at Parkway Gardens, a sprawling apartment complex that serves as Oblock's stronghold and shares the same nickname. After she testified, Offord's attorney, John Somerville, asked Bacold if she'd allow Huff back in court as an observer. Julian quickly objected, saying she may be called as a witness as the government winds down its case. Attorneys representing the six men accused of killing Duck called for a mistrial on Tuesday, alleging that a blogger was wrongfully removed from the courtroom after her er 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 er
reporting on the proceedings angered a key government witness. While mainstream media outlets have largely ignored the federal murder and racketeering trial, the extraordinary events unfolding at the Dirksen Federal Courthouse have repeatedly spilled into YouTube channels and rap blogs. In a motion filed on behalf of all the defense attorneys, lawyer Steve Greenberg said Alita Mickey Truth Williams was pulled out of court last week after she falsely claimed that Rakeem FBG Bada Weldon had been paid to work with the feds. Wilton runs a YouTube channel with nearly 50,000 subscribers and was close friends with FBG Duck, real name Carlton Weekly. Williams posted a video about Wilton's testimony on December 6th and incorrectly stated that he or his mother had received $2,700 in exchange for his testimony. That same day, as Wilton was still technically on the stand while the trial was in recess, he appeared on another YouTube channel and ranted about the mistake. Williams, who traveled from out of state to report on the trial, posted a correction on Thursday after being contacted by Williams' mother. According to the filing, upset about her false claim, Wilton expressed great displeasure to his handlers and at one point sought to run out of the room where he was being held. When he returned to the courtroom to testify, government agents told Williams that she would be able to remain in the courtroom while he was on stand. The filing states, Although Williams was offered the opportunity to watch from the overflow courtroom, she decided to leave Chicago when the agents told her the defendants were dangerous people and said she was now at risk. Prosecutors alleged that Williams had posted pictures and inaccurate personal information about Wilson's mother. A claim was rejected in the mistrial motion. It alleges that Williams' exclusion from the courtroom violated her right to free speech and defendants' right to a public trial. The law does not distinguish between traditional and new media. Greenberg, one of Roberson's attorneys, wrote in the filing, If reporters from the Trump Tribune, Sun-Times, or the local news had been barred in the same manner as Ms. Williams, this court would recognize it as an outrageous violation of the defendant's right to a public trial. This scenario is no less outrageous. During a conference Tuesday without the jury present, Assistant U.S. Attorney Jason Julian said his team would file a very short response later this week. Judge Martha Bacold rejected another push for their mistrial when defense attorneys raised concerns over an FBI agent's testimony about alleged witness retaliation. Williams isn't the only person authorities have booted from the courtroom. The filing shows that another YouTuber was removed from the courtroom on Thursday after he posted a video suggesting the defendants needed to activate some, someone to crash out and kill the witness, apparently, apparently referring to Wilton. On Tuesday, a witness who had previously been removed from the courtroom took the stand after a warrant was issued for her a day earlier. Tini, Tiffany Hoff, Alfred's ex-girlfriend and the mother of his child, discussed his ties to Oblock and recalled take, taking him to purchase a Ford Fusion that was later used in the shooting. Duck's mother, Lashina Weekly, was also removed from the courtroom for a second time after causing a disturbance Monday. Stephen Linder, a supervisor with the U.S. Marshal Service, explained on Tuesday that she was previously cited for having a quarter ounce of weed at the courthouse and was also involved in a verbal altercation that nearly led to a fight. Keith Bilfogel, one of Offert's attorneys, said it was rather generous that she was being allowed to watch from the overflow room, given these prior incidents. Linder also noticed that Ligon's sister had been kicked out of court when she was found with a small switchblade, though he acknowledged when she was found with that she used it for work and said she had been given a path to come back. We just want the same respect on both sides. 
The typically stone-faced ligands said, referring to Lashina Weekly's treatment. And that's what we got on the FBG truck, the, the FBG truck trial so far. So, yeah, a lot of witnesses, a lot of people being kicked in and out of the courtroom, them trying to dismiss it. Same thing as usual. Now we're going to go on to the Samantha Wool. A Michigan man was charged in the killing of a beloved love Detroit synagogue leader Wednesday, two months after she was found fatally stabbed outside of her, of her home. Michael Manuel Jackson Balonis, 28, of Detroit, was charged with felony murder, home invasion, and lying to police, according to Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy. Jackson Balonis is believed to have stabbed have acted alone and allegedly broke into the home of Samantha Wool before stabbing her multiple times using a straight-edge cutting instrument. Worthy said Wool 40 was discovered October 21st, surrounded by a pool of blood outside of her home in Lafayette Park, a Detroit night neighborhood just east of downtown. Authorities have said a trial of blood led investigators to Wool's home where they believe she was stabbed. In the apartment of Jackson Balonis, his girlfriend, investigators found a jacket with Wool's blood on it adding that it seemed to be consistent with the very same jacket he was wearing the night when she was killed, the outlet reported. Jackson Balonis' attorney, Brian Brown, called the evidence circumstantial and said he believes his client was a, has a good chance of being exonerated. Detroit police had confirmed Tuesday that charges were requested against Jackson Balonis, who was apprehended as a person of interest on Sunday. Jackson Balonis was identified for suspected criminal activity in the area. Police linked him to a few larcenies and brought him in for questioning. What had transpired during questioning was concerning. But without more evidence, Jackson Balonis was released, but then monitored. We knew where he was. We knew his whereabouts. We knew his movements. At no time was anyone in the community at, rest, at risk. We knew where he worked. We knew his phone traffic. Police had previously said there was no signs of forced entry to Wool's home. But on Wednesday, Worthy said the front door to Wool's home was ajar and unlocked. A significant amount of blood was inside. Worthy added that the suspect allegedly lied to detectives about theft and attempted theft of motor vehicles on the day Wool was found. Jackson Balonis previously spent two years on probation after being convicted of receiving and selling a stolen Mullen Beater vehicle in 2019, according to the Michigan Department of Corrections. He also spent four years in prison for a similar offense in 2013. His attorney maintained his innocence following a Wednesday arraignment hearing knowing that police had previously fingered a different suspect in the killing. During Jackson Balonis' appearance, he entered a not guilty plea. It was turned to jail without bond. So they finally got a guy and the, the Jewish lady, the synagogue leader. So that's great here. Yeah, weird how you know, he was doing. I'm like it was targeted to me. Yeah. But they're saying that he was just breaking in and seeing it as a crime out as opportunity because her door was unlocked. So I don't know. You know, you know, there was so much around that case that if they do charge him, he's gonna get. They're gonna really sock it to him. They hate. They gonna get it as a hate crime. But I'm trying to say, didn't how's the how's the the door like like the door was unlocked. Yeah, they said that, that her door was ajar and unlocked. But they said she was leaving a wedding. Um, so, 
Gotta lock your doors. Yeah. Well, I preach that all the time. And then last we got the woman's body found in storage unit. Husband is accused of the murder. The estranged husband of a woman whose body was found in a storage unit in Orange County, Florida, has been charged with their murder. Shakira Yvonne Rucker, a 37-year-old mother of four, was reported missing after her family told the Winter Springs Police Department they last saw her on November 11th. Rucker's family reported she left her home for an unknown destination, possibly with her estranged husband, Corey Hill, police said at the time. Florida law enforcement officials last month said her disappearance was being investigated as a homicide after her body was found in a storage unit registered to Hill. The Office of the State Attorney for the Ninth Judicial Circuit has formally filed charges against Corey Hill for the murder of Shakira Rucker. Prosecutors said in a statement Friday, Hill remains in jail under a no-bond status stemming from his November arrest of attempted second-degree murder and other charges against his ex-girlfriend and her family. Hill 51 was booked in the Orange County Jail on November 13th for an unrelated shooting. He was charged with four counts of attempted murder after allegedly shooting at a former girlfriend and her family on November 12th. Sheriff John Mina said Hill now faces additional charges of second-degree murder with a firearm for the death of Miss Rucker. Miss Rucker's body was found in a storage facility at 2400 Wiggins Road in Apopka after someone complained about the smell coming from inside a unit registered to Corey Hill. When deputies opened the unit, they found a woman later identified as Rucker dead from apparent gunshot wounds. Rucker's family has set up a GoFundMe page for her four children, ages 7 through 18. Prosecutors said they will seek a first-degree murder indictment in Rucker's homicide. Due to procedural rules, the state is limited to filing a second-degree murder charge by information prior to presenting the case to the Orange County Grand Jury. That's fucked up because so close to Christmas. And these them kids don't got their mother now. It just makes me sick. Some of these people make me sick. The things that they do just some things is just <laughs> just ignore. Like all that vengeful crap. They need to cut that shit out. Like they're not gonna get away with it. Stop trying to do it. Come on now. Ain't nobody getting away with crimes no more, so just cut it out. You're gonna get caught. Right, Stop you might it. as well just commit them and turn yourself in because you're going right, to get caught. You're going to get caught. Don't worry about getting away. Shit. Technology too great. Yes. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're not going to get away. So just leave it alone. It's advancing, advancing more and more every yes. day. But just give it on up. Well, is there anything else you want to say to everybody? I just want to say go Lions. Great win. And I just want to say thank you to all our listeners. We really appreciate you. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and comment. We are also available on the following platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Our Facebook page is Diversity in D. Our email is diversityind at gmail.com, but it's spelled D-I-B-E-R-C-I-T-Y-I-N-T-H-E-D. Thanks again to our listeners. Without you, there's no us. We are now on Instagram at Diversity in D. And I just want to say happy holidays to everybody.